0: Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me as always, I have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, that makes some very questionable fashion choices. Before we <laughs> uh, get started, been but no, trying to make fun started, of me
1: this whole time, but he has stumbled upon his words
0: every time. He's wearing a brimless hat. Not like a toque, not like a winter hat, not like uh, like a skull cap. This is legitimately hat fabric without a brim.
1: Yeah, be, you'll be all right. It's uh, no brim co on Instagram is where I found them. A couple of my friends wear them and does a good job to uh, hold my hair out of my face. So
0: while at the end of the day, all I want is for you to be happy, Alex. <laughs> I do have to say, when I think you've made a mistake, I think you've made a mistake. No, that's
1: all right. I've made plenty in my life, so just remember, you can change. Oh, that's all right. We're not posting the video versions of this yet, so <laughs> um, it all—it's all good. It's all good.
0: But, anyways, today <laughs> we're gonna talk about all right. Are tight muscles always the problem, or are they just a symptom of problems further deeper? beneath the surface, right? So a lot of the times when people think about tight muscles, they try to foam roll, they try to sew right, they try to hypervolt, do it at Theracane, whatever it may be, right? There's a bunch of different implements for self myofascial release. But if you feel the need to have to do that over and over and over again, every day, every time you roll for six months, and the problem's not getting better, I, I would postulate, I know crazy that I don't think the tight muscle is the actual problem. If you keep Detightening your muscle, anatomical sense or anatomical word. Yeah, science. I, I, exactly. I would argue that for the most part, the tight muscle is a symptom and you just keep fixing a symptom. And then that symptom goes away for a little bit and that comes right back. Symptom goes away for a little bit right back. When in reality, it could be neural tension. That's the issue. It could be a uh, threat in the area. It could be internal inflammation. That's the issue. There's all these different, um, possibilities when you get beneath the surface, when you peel one more layer back and think about that, hey, the issue isn't always locals. Sometimes it's a distal problem for a local solution.
1: Yeah. Um I think there's a lot to go off of that. A couple of ways mm-hmm. to branch off. Uh first off, let's think like anatomically and anatomical positions. Um, you know, so many times, you know, your low back is sore. Um, foam rolling and, and maybe lacrosse balling or icing your low back is not a good solution for all of that. Um, so I wouldn't have you, you know, roll out your low back if your low back is sore. Um, I would have you roll out some of the musculature that may be causing pain in the low back, like the, the piriformis or the glutes or figure four or your quads or the psoas if you can get to that. Um, but the take-home message being that the location of the soreness and the location of the the quote-unquote pain is not the all not all the time is the problem. So anatomical position-wise, it might not be the problem. But even like musculoskeletal system-wise, it might not be the problem. Your problem might not be that your low back or your quads are tight. The problem might be in your motor pattern and your behavior and the way that you're picking things up. Um, I know that was true for me for a long time. You know, having the the overcompens overcompensating quads, the super strong quads, the the super strong low back, where my posterior chain wasn't doing any work at all. So it was no it was no mystery that my low back was sore. But what did I do? I just chronically stretched my low back and and did a million toe touches and this and that. When really you need to change the movement pattern, change how we train, or, or change and reintroduce different movement patterns so i guess for me the the topic of this podcast has to do with um like a a movement fallacy if you will or like a misconception that the end result of where you feel pain, where you feel soreness is not always the problem area. Is not always the thing to fix. Um, And that's what I feel like a lot of my job is as a strength coach. And I'm sure Austin feels this more so as a healthcare practitioner that like I come in for one area of concern and diagnosis or one area of pain. And then all of a sudden you're needling my quads or all of a sudden we're working on activating my glutes. Like that all the time doesn't click for for people that don't study the human body, right? So I shed some light on that, Austin, where, you know, even if I come in for, let's say, neck pain, why would you work on my shoulder? Why would something like that happen?
0: Well, like, so a quote that's always stuck with me and that I, I've heard, he's from a legend in manual therapy, Carl Levitt. He's out of the Czech Republic. Um, he, was, he was one of the leading authorities before he passed away, is a, he who only treats the site of pain is lost. And a lot of the times, if you're only focusing on, say it's a, all right, you come in with a uh, right shoulder pain, And I only focus on your shoulder. I don't address the central structure, which is the neck and figure out, Hey, is it a neurodynamics issue? Is it potentially an end range load end range loading issue? Is the shoulder pain coming from the spine or vice versa? Is the neck pain potentially caused from a trigger point? And that's like a bastardized term. Everybody hates the word trigger point nowadays, but. Give me a better word and I'll use it. Uh, Trigger point in the shoulder leading up to the neck. It could just be from tight trap tone that's causing a referral headache. There's all these different pathways that, hey, if you have a headache, there's different muscles we can look at. Hey, if you have shoulder pain, there's neurology in the area. There's vasculature in the area. There's um, like straight up disc pain that refers to different areas of the shoulder. And it could just be referral pain from a tight muscle up or down the quadrant right? So in this case, sit with the athlete with shoulder pain coming in to see me, I'm going to look at neck range of motion. Does their neck range of motion have any effect on the shoulder pain? Does it increase or decrease it? No, it does. It, it doesn't, right? Um, it could a lot of the times it does, but this case doesn't. All right. So then I move. All right. It's probably not a disc issue. Then I go to are neurodynamics affected in any way, shape or form, because we know for tight muscles, a lot of the times that tight muscle, doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. It's some sort of underlying perceived threat that causes the brain to say, Hey, I need more stability in this area. And it tightens up that muscle to prevent movement, right? That's what tight muscles are for. That's why when you ever think of like a back spasm, if you've ever had one or been around somebody that has one, there's something underlying. The back muscle doesn't just spasm out of fucking nowhere the back spasm is caused by some sort of threat in the area. So a lot of the times it's a disc herniation. A lot of the times like people get back spasms after they did super heavy deadlift with really shitty form that really shitty form caused undue pressure onto the spine and actually on the disc, that intradiscal pressure increase might've caused any sort of discal material to go out and put pressure on the nerves. The nerve is perceiving that as threat and then, boom, if you followed with me all the way through there, we get the back spasm, that tight muscle that feels like you're locked into extension. You can't really move. So that's a really long way around of saying, if you're only looking at somebody coming in with shoulder pain and you're doing dry needling on the shoulder and just giving them banded shoulder exercises, I would argue that you're not doing what's best for the patient or for the athlete because you're not addressing all of the things That play in because again at the end of the day you're allowed to have more than one problem.
1: Right, and I think too the the problems that you quote unquote have are allowed to be complex. I think as a society and as practitioners we've gone on such a kick of let's simplify this and let's make this easy to understand and digestible and let's just you know rub this boo boo when it comes up. It's like no the the problem can be complex and and you need to be able to solve that and the the solution is not make the problem simple. The solution might have an aspect of simply explaining the problem, but the problem itself might not be simple and that's okay. Um, so for a quick analogy of things that I'm thinking that like can make sense in a grappling perspective, or so let's say, let's take myself for an example. That's like, I don't know. That's the most readily available example that I have is myself. Yeah,
0: cause it, cause it hits close to home.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm all types of messed up from, you know, <laughs> poor movement and playing too many sports and everything, but all right. So my traps and my neck are always sore. Like, that's just a, a thing that I've been living with. And I know I, I need to do better at fixing that problem. Versus what I've been doing is chronically rolling out my traps, taking a lacrosse ball against the wall and doing that, or, or chronically trying to detension through farmer carries. And like the problem is not necessarily that I have tight traps. It's the problem is that my default behavior and my default reaction when I grapple is to shrug my shoulders and stay super tight the whole time. Um, And so right now, again, my solution is just a chronic de-stressing or de-tightening of that musculature. So that's like, if I was rolling jujitsu, that's like saying, man, I always find myself at the bottom of a mount. I really need to practice my mountain escapes. You yeah. know, that doesn't track. It's not like the problem is not necessarily getting into getting the mountain escapes down. The problem is that you're always getting mounted, right? Yeah. So yeah. find out different strategies and, and practice different ways to not get mounted, versus drilling a mountain escape 100 times. Like, yeah, you need to know how to escape the mount. I need to I need to be able to roll out my traps and feel good for the immediate session sometimes. But more importantly, I need to figure out a different movement pattern or figure out how to not get mounted and solve that problem in the forefront, right? So, I think that's some of the the, the next order thinking that, that needs to start occurring, especially with, with athletes and with practitioners. Like this thing hurts. Let's rub this thing is not always the best solution. Like this thing hurts and rub this thing might be part of the solution, but like, let's also dive deeper and change the motor pattern. Let's see why we're getting so neurally
0: stressed. Let's see why, you know, things are always tight. Well, and not to put you on the spot, but like you're, you're a, I mean, you are a normal wrestler with, shoulder and trap pain. So I'm going to use you as an example of of what you're doing Mm -hmm. and how I think we might be able to do it better for everybody listening. Right. So a lot of wrestlers are up in their traps, a lot of combat sport athletes, and a lot of people feel the need to massage or foam roll it or whatever it may be, or the opposite would be, or not the opposite, but a way to load it would be trap bar carries, dumbbell carries, whatever farmers carries. Right. Um, I would argue if we don't do a proper assessment to know, is it muscular, is it neurologic or whatever, that it's hard to figure out what's best for you. And what I mean by that is, uh, that one of our most recent posts was the neck help for self-care for neck stuff. Right. And in there, I went over an exercise where we actually in for trap tension, we elevate the trap even further and lean your head away from the side of the the site of pain. Right. And I would argue that if you're trying to always depress your shoulder blades and to try to stretch that trap, that's actually putting more stress on the brachial plexus, (laughs) which if the brachial plexus or neural tension is the issue, you're actually making everything worse by trying to load up that pharmacary super heavy and keep you in depression. Or trying to do ART of the neck to try to relax that trap tone. Because why is the trap tone there in the first place? The trap tone lifts up the scapula and lifts everything up around the brachial brachial plexus because it feels like it's too tensioned. It feels like it's too stretched. So it's trying to de-stretch it. So it's one of those things is if we do the proper tests, if we figure out what's actually going on in your body, we can figure out, hey, do we actually need to load and try to depress the shoulder blade? Or do we need to find a position of relief because the brain and the nerves right now are like, well, what the fuck is going on? I always feel tensioned. I always feel under stress. And we need to de-stress that by actually increasing the trap elevation more and decreasing the stress on the brachial plexus.
1: Right. It's a tricky problem. And to me, that that sounds a lot like a Chinese finger trap. You remember doing yeah. those when you were a kid? like, yeah. like I didn't just knot. use them
0: on my fingers. Wow.
1: Um, but no,
0: the heavier we hold the farmer, nothing, you had nothing for uh,
1: me. I don't have anything for that. (laughs) I'm just going to slowly bypass, um, the heavier that you hold the farmer carry, like the more it pulls your shoulder down, but that may in fact act to tighten the shoulder blade because it's more perceived stress. Like stress is stress. Just like you're saying, the more we hammer in with massage, the more we try and ART on the traps, like that's damage, you know, that's like, Oh shit, that hurts. I need to be even more tightened up to protect from that. Like that's a, it's a tricky um, interaction between, you know, your nervous system and your muscular system, because um, the more that we try and work on it, the more that we're actually putting stress into the local area. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, what can we do? That's just enough. That's not, you know, too much stress that we're going to even get more of a reaction, but we also don't want to just ignore the issue because there's an issue, right? So for sure. It's a it's a interesting interplay that your body always wants to fight against what you're doing to it. Right. And we I use this as a strength coach into like rear what am I trying to think of? Um RNT, reactive, reactive neuromuscular, neuromuscular tension. Muscular. Yeah. Right. So if I see somebody squatting and they have mm-hmm. a bunch of knee valgus, and again, not that's not the end of the world, but I can put a band around their knees and without even thinking about it, they're gonna fight the band wider, mm-hmm. you know, like that's just a normal reaction that your body goes through. And that can, you can use that in a variety of different settings and like anatomical movements, but your body by default almost wants to fight against what stress you're putting on it. So if I push you left, your instinctual reaction, a lot of wrestlers, fighters, whatever their instinctual reaction is to push back into you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we use that in our technique hundred percent. So that's how I, that's how I
0: teach cage wrestling. Exactly. It's, hey, try to feed them to the left, knowing they're going to try to cut you off to the left. And then you just get off onto the right. You're exactly. just playing chess while they're playing checkers.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things, sorry, this is a little tangent that I've, that has helped me with jujitsu from wrestling. You know, wrestling is all about setups and, you know, hand fighting, or when you're on your feet, you're trying to use misdirection to get an entry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. You use that same thing on the ground. You know, I'm going to go for this Kimura. Haha. <laughs> no, I got your back. You know, like it's a, it's that misdirection and that type of scheming that happens, but you can also do that anatomically. You can do that to treat your injuries to, I guess, better, or I don't don't like the word trick your body, but um, feed into it and find an actual solution versus just chronically doing the same thing, like chronically rolling out, chronically um, just getting the symptom.
0: Well, right. So in actually in rehab, we call it feeding the dysfunction. Right. We want to feed the dysfunction because your brain knows that it shouldn't be doing that dysfunction. So once you feed it, it actually Mm -hmm. fights against it harder and harder and harder because the brain knows that it needs to get back to that other side of the spectrum. Um, But something I want to go one more one more example, because I think it'll help a lot of people. And I know, I'm sorry, this is a very technical, heavy podcast, listeners, but I think this is useful information. You're talking, about? We're talking so, about
1: Chinese finger trap. Technical. On dicks.
0: You said that
1: in a <laughs> subtle way earlier, but it didn't get the reaction you wanted, so you said it in a much more abrasive way there.
0: But, Anyways, so another extremely common type of this type of concept where, Hey, maybe it's not the tight muscles. That's the issue. And it is actually going to be the title of this podcast is hamstring tension, hamstring tightness, and low back disc pathology, right? I would argue for the most part, I would argue 95% of the times you shouldn't be stretching your hamstrings. You should be doing some sort of disc-based progressive end range loading, some sort of neural tension, uh, detensioning effects, gliding, sliding of the nervous system. Because a lot of the times it's not actually the hamstring that is taut or tight. It is actually a neural threat in the area, or it could just straight up be from it's trying to contract from a lengthened state because you are stuck in anterior pelvic tilt because your low back erectors are too tight. But for the most part, stretching the hamstring, isn't going to fix anything. It's actually going to make it worse in the case for low back disc pathology. So let's postulate all the way around hypothetical situation, 35 year old jujitsu athlete, um, just recreational blue belt. He started having hamstring tightness and a little bit of pain in the back of his thigh. Um, But he plays a inverted guard game and Actu- and always when he's on top, he tries to pressure pass, um, and he's loading from a rounded back a lot, right? So he's stuck in spinal flexion. Standard ex wrestler that has freakishly freakish mobility, but it also wants to put pressure on somebody, aka me. So except you're not thirty-five, yeah? No, no, this is me, but nine years ahead of time. Anyways, so this a lot of the times, boom, you feel that tension in your hamstring. You want to stretch your hamstring. What do you do? Well, oh, you do that forward fold, that forward fold. It feels so good because it de-stretches. It, it gets rid of that hamstring tension. You can roll. Great. But doing that prolonged hold of the hamstring stretch is actually putting more pressure on your disc of your low back, which is the actual cause of the problem because you're playing an inverted game. You're getting a lot of two body weights. On top of your low back discs, and it's causing you to actually flare up around the area. It causes muscle spasm of the low back that locks you into anterior pelvic tilt. And then it's also making your hamstrings try to contract from the lengthened state, like I just talked about, because your pelvis is a little bit higher. So the hamstring is a little bit stretched. And then, boom, it feels like it's super stretched, and the hamstring's the problem when in reality, it's the back. All right. So, what we actually should be doing instead of stretching the hamstring is finding out what the problem with the low back is and finding out a way to fix the low back. But if you go into a healthcare practitioner that only wants to treat the hamstring, hey, we need to stretch this away. We need to do ultrasound on the hamstring. I don't know who's still doing that, but please stop if you are doing that. Um, not not diagnostic ultrasound, ultrasound therapy, because ultrasound therapy doesn't work. Um, and and all these other like different, just treating the site of the pain hamstring issues. Well, that's going to be a repetitive injury. That's going to keep popping up. It's always going to feel like you're about to tear your hamstring until eventually it does because you're contracting off the length and state. And then the hamstring tension actually becomes the problem along with the low back. And now you got two real shitty problems that you got to fix because somebody finally figured out that this whole time, the low back was the problem not the hamstring. Sorry. I know. There was, I know there wasn't a whole bunch there, but I just, I've seen that over and over and over again. So if you stuck with me through that and followed my logic, which I tried to keep it short and sweet, that's a scenario that plays out in jujitsu, in grappling time and time again. And it's going to keep you off. If you just go after the hamstring, it's going to keep you off the mat for four to five months. You don't, well, you don't want that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think of like your immediate intervention, whatever you're Forward folds, your toe touches, whatever. Like, there is so much going on on a toe touch that has relatively nothing to do with your hamstrings. Yes. You know, it's you're almost looking at lumbar range of motion and like your ability to move your pelvis more
0: than, oh, your
1: hamstrings are tight. You can't touch your toes. Like, that's it's a way different idea than I guess it's just culturally ingrained. Um, So, I like different mobilities to stretch the hamstrings if we're going to do that. But um first off let's see if any this athlete has any type of lumbo pelvic control let's see if we can stabilize yeah. if we know how to breathe i mean those are just basic boxes to tick that we think about like pelvic positioning and, and core strength so those are some more things to address first and foremost rather than just doing toe touches or, you know, um, focusing on your hamstring strength or hamstrings uh, flexibility. Secondarily, I think a good thing to recognize as well is that central nervous system, system tension is a lot more acute than muscle anatomy and connective tissue physiology. So uh, this is one thing I learned when I was at U when we are stretching, right? If we want to actively change the you know the structure of the muscle that type of stretching takes a long time both in session but a long time chronically too so you're talking like yeah. 6 to 9 months of 5 to 10 to 15 minutes every day right you want to do the splits you got to invest a lot of time into that because you're trying to change the the actual anatomical structure of the muscle of the connective tissue maybe you know of bone in some cases some extreme cases but that takes a long time and that's you know a different stress as a practitioner that I can go after, but stretching through the nervous system or detensioning and through the nervous system takes a relatively short amount of time. You know, we're talking about, you know, some active releases, some, um, different isometric strength holds that can, you know, for better or worse, like we we're talking about, what did you say earlier, feeding the dysfunction, feed the dysfunction. Yep. Yep. Um, and that can relieve a lot of stress. And then all of a sudden, wow, I have this range of motion back. It's like, but, you, you don't understand that it's an electrical stimulus that kind of resets the nervous system, which allows you to move rather than that stretch was amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, a hundred percent. And, and it's one of those things that it doesn't just apply to healthcare too, which is something I want to get into this whole process that we're talking about is literally just applying the kinetic chain theory. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, which is so, so important in, in, just training in general with strength conditioning. Right. Cause yeah. a lot of the times, like there's, there's the famous story of Dizzy Dean that if you ever heard a seminar from Brett Winchester ever, he talks about where Dizzy Dean, he was a Cardinals pitcher. He's at the top of his game. Um, he was pitching in uh, a very big, a big game. I don't remember if it was a championship or whatever. And then he, uh, A ground ball hit off of his big toe, fractured his big toe. And he was no, he dropped from that game on, even after properly rehabbing everything. He dropped, I think, four miles per hour off of his speed because he no longer was able to activate the the dorsiflexion of the big toe that would allow him to then gather that range of motion and then whip through. So it's crazy how that entire, the big toe at the end of the day was the problem with all of his entire kinetic chain leading up to pitching and took off a lot of his velocity. Um, So it's one of those things that in training and and focusing on whether it be distal to proximal or proximal to distal with the breathing that we always talk about, the bracing strategies that this proximal stability equals distal mobility. um, You have to look at all of these different scenarios and not just think, Hey, this person, if we're, if we're training, this person is really shitty at single leg stability we need to train knee flexion and knee extension, when in reality, it could be anything through the whole chain, even all the way up to the trunk that's the problem.
1: Yeah, and something that you're probably going to know more about, Austin, is when I had low back pain, specifically when I was one-sided, they, some of the athletic trainers and physical therapists I went to were assessing my opposite-sized shoulder. Um, Mm -hmm. so look at that crossover, just again, because through your, your kinetic chains and how your body works and the contralateral pattern is so heavily affected that my lower back pain on my left side might've had something to do with my right shoulders, limited range of motion.
0: For sure. Yeah. So it's, it's just using the sling systems as a, as a guide there, right? So going through, Hey, We have this posterior oblique sling going from your left hip all the way up to your right shoulder in one little sling of muscles, fascia, whatever it may be. So if you're not able to contract along that oblique sling, or if there's threat in the area, it could actually tighten up the whole chain and it could either be the tightening of the shoulder is due to the low back, or it could just be that the right shoulder being super taut in the first place is actually what keeps causing this uh, we'll say low back threat or this low back pain probably feels mm-hmm. like QL pain with like lateral bending, if you will. Yeah. A lot of the times that's what it is.
1: Yeah. And that's where I as a strength and condition coach, as a practitioner, I like to give my athletes like a healthy mix of all types of movements, you know, whatever, push, pull, contralateral, ipsilateral uh, unilateral bilateral, all, all these types of movements. Let's train, a healthy mix of all of them. And if we need to specify and overload one type, because that's where we see chronic compensation and that's where we see weakness or that's where we need to address for our fight or our tactics coming up. Sure. Go ahead and do that. But we need to give a healthy dose because if I'm, I'm the guy that focuses on powerlifting and we're going to back squat and be strong through the back squat, like how you can cover up so many dysfunctional patterns through a bilateral you know, stance where strength is our end game, right? Because something's going to compensate for something else and it may look good to me, but, you know, I can't feel the symptoms that you're feeling or I can't understand what's compensating just from an eyeball kind of look. So we need to expose our athletes to different type of movement patterns that can be specific to sport, that can be general. And then we get a better overall picture of how this person moves, of what patterns they utilize, how their kinetic chain works or what isn't working more or less. And we can see what's the stability pattern look like. And we can kind of zero in on what is going to be the most effective movement and strengthening exercises to get this person to keep performing rather than... Let's see how high we can get the back squat and let's do only back squat, you know, correctives or back squat strengthening exercises or bench press is even a better example. Everybody wants to bench press. Let's do, you know, a million band pull aparts, and, you know, strengthen our lower back and then the person doesn't even recruit their lower or sorry, not their lower back, their upper back for the bench press. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) tangent, sorry, expose your athletes to a lot of different movement patterns and that's why I know I'm a huge fan of some funky type of movements or some uh, like forward rolls and different crawls and, and whatever else just because it builds a better movement vocabulary for the athlete, but it also gives you a lot more to assess as a coach watching movement.
0: Right. Well, that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's where I use my primal patterns or animal flow and all that stuff. Like I can mm-hmm. see from side to side with the totally total body movement. Hey, is there something going wrong through this chain? Is there something going wrong through that chain? That's where like, getting assessed and doing like a quick assessment comes in and being able to have a thorough assessment that looks at not just body parts, not just strength, but also looking at, Hey, how does this play into the, into the whole, how do the movement patterns go as a whole? Right. So like something that I I've been doing recently is, uh, do you know what a crab, like a crab reaches where you're in that, you're in that, it's the animal flow load and explode. Mm -hmm. So something I keep seeing and I, and just to get it out there, and I don't know why I'm trying to figure it out is a lot of the times people that are orthodox in stance, they have a, they're tight through doing that basically that crab reach when they're reaching that lead arm back and across trying to stretch through that range of motion. So basically it's for people that don't know you're in a crab position, one arm's loaded, one arm's planted on the ground. So you're doing a single arm, movement and you're going to try to get up to the sky, making your back and your arm like a rainbow and stretching towards that downside shoulder. And for whatever reason, if if it's a orthodox person, that left shoulder is super tight. Um, trying to figure out why why that could be, is it neural tension, is it uh sling system, but it's something that keeps popping up. And if I wouldn't have done that assessment as part of these guys' warmups, I'd have no fucking clue.
1: Well and I also want to highlight how you just were used the word assessment too. Like you said use that assessment in the warm up. You're not like sitting guys down and saying, okay, do this movement. I'm going to watch you and take notes or like with every no. single fighter, you're saying, no. Hey, do this movement in the warm up. This is what should happen. This is how you can do it. And you're showing them. And then you're just making mental notes of how they move. Right. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, don't get is me an wrong. Assessment period.
0: Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I do, I, I will sit them down and go through a whole, a whole thing on like the first or second, whatever. But right. from then on out, unless it's a performance metric where, I can't overload them in one certain what's like a fifteen minute air bike test. Yeah. And that has to be planned into a workout. All the movement quality assessments, I just throw right into the warm up because if you <laughs> if you're doing multiple reps of something that's supposed to increase movement quality or have a good uh, have a good indicator of movement quality, well, hey, it's probably something good to warm up with before you do something you need to move well. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so another plug for a warm up, do a warm up because it uh gives some insight into how you move and I can, you know filter out some of the uh poor movements before you get into good movements yeah all right so i guess the the whole moral is like think about actual problems and issues not just the, the superficial symptoms and uh yeah exactly effects. it's dig
0: deep dig deeper it, mm-hmm. what what's on the surface might not actually be what's going on. if you just actually put on a critical thing like i think my post what was it uh your massage gun can't critically think, get assessed by somebody who can um, or can't diagnose. It was going to be critically think, but like your implement that you're using to release your muscle tissue can't critically think, and if, if you don't have training in kinesiology, healthcare, whatever it may be, understand that there's a layer deeper, go get checked out by somebody that knows what's going on. So you can figure out, Hey, maybe the muscle tissue is just tight, but I, I'd, I'd bet you a good amount of money for the most part, there's something else going on. That's making it stick around.
1: Yeah. Especially if it's a repeat customer.
0: Yep, exactly. So this is building a fighter. Please like share, subscribe, do all the stuff that allows us to talk to your friends Cause we want to make your friends a part of the building a fighter crew. Cause they're cool people like you. And we want to talk to them.
1: We want to get uh, your friends to wear no brim hats. So I'm not the only one. And Austin can't make fun of me anymore. No, we're not going to do that.
0: <laughs> hashtag no brim hats. Never. Um, but please leave us a review on Apple podcasts. If you could, I think that's the only one that we do that does reviews. Um, check out the website. We have programs that are live low back program. We got phase one of building a fighter. And then we also have custom programming for you per month. Um, And then also some free resources there that we think you guys would like as far as conditioning, needs analysis, uh, low back protocols, what have you. This is Building a Fighter, Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Rubin. And we are out.